Hello, everyone. Welcome to Collisions YYC Current and Critical. I'm your host, Tyler Chisholm. Thank you for joining me today for another good old-fashioned chat. Today's show is brought to you in partnership with Kinstead Wealth, where they give private investors access to the best asset class managers in the world. As a business owner who simply did not have the time nor the knowledge to manage my own financial assets, I was always on the hunt for a partner that would be able to give me access to something more than the stock market. Two years ago, I was introduced to Kinstead Wealth, and my eyes were open to an entirely new set of possibilities. Their pension endowment style approach to portfolio management allowed a portion of my portfolio to be allocated to non-traditional assets such as private equity, private agriculture, private real estate, and private infrastructure, amongst others. This allowed me to have access to non-traditional assets that have return expectations superior to public stocks while having lower volatility. With these assets added to my traditional portfolio, I had the opportunity to enhance my returns and lower my volatility overall. You may be asking yourself, what do you mean by non-traditional assets? In short, these are institutional quality assets that are not promoted to the retail market, but to the pension, endowment, foundations, and family offices due to the fact that their minimums are very high. By partnering with Kinset as an investor, I was able to gain access to these financial vehicles that are typically out of reach for most people. To learn more about how Kinset can help you and your family, please visit them today at www.kinstead.com. Kinstead Wealth is a very proud member of our community and donates 1% of their top-line revenue every year to the charitable sector. Hello and a warm collisions YYC. Welcome to my my third time, my first third-timer, Miss Jenny Gilbert. How are you, Jenny? I'm very good, thank you. And it's a pleasure to be back third time. Oh, thank you so much for coming. We have such fantastic conversations and I always get some good feedback from people. We, we, we make people think, or you make people think, and I just help facilitate the conversation. Jenny is a facilitator of corporate training, the School of Business at SAIT, somewhere where I think everybody knows I'm a huge fan of the work that SAIT does, especially their School of Corporate Training. And you've been there for 11 years, so you've, 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 you've probably seen a lot of time and seen a lot of evolution. And for anyone who hasn't listened to our past episodes, which episode 196 on psychological safety and episode 156 on the six intelligence of leadership put a pause now if you want go back listen to those and jump in but they're not prequels you don't have to listen to them beforehand (laughs) but you've been involved in corporate training for quite a few years so maybe just at a high level before we dive into our topic today which is emotional intelligence maybe just share a little bit of your perspective of like the changes 10 years is a real period of time and you know we always there's that infinite world that we live in where we think we've kind of arrived but man have we changed a lot but we're probably not going to change that much which is i think kind of fundamentally untrue but if you look back at the 10 years for for yourself what have you really seen or some of the kind of the big check boxes of like, wow, we've come a long way in these areas and it's, and, and it's great. And obviously there's still room for improvement. Oh, Tyler, every time <laughs> it just nailed me straight away. That's a, that's a great perspective piece. And just as you were speaking, I'm like, yes, we, the development, the changes are, they're, they're huge. And when I think back 11 years ago, it was a lot about, even in professional development, corporate training, it was a lot about the sage on the stage. And we, we kind of taught you what you needed to know. And there were certain ways that you could do this. And, and this was a great model. And this was a fit. And, and I think the biggest change in those 11 years is now we're really looking at how to think. And, and the pandemic, along with everything, just press fast forward on that. And if you were in 2020, what do I do? Nobody had a playbook, we didn't know. Whereas now when we talk about how we set people up for success, even better than we ever did before. There's still good content, you know, there's, you don't know what you don't know, but that sage on the stage has died. Don't, don't come to read a textbook in the classroom, let's say. Come to have good conversation and that experience, that reality. And there's so many different places to learn from 
as well. So we're really building on that too. For putting you on the spot, I think you I think you nailed it quite well. If I can paraphrase back to you, is it also more about what I'm seeing and something that I'm excited about is personal development used to be in the realm of not work. <laughs> that was something you did over here, if at all. And I'm blanket statements here, but when you came to work, there was frameworks and there was models and there were certain ways we did things. Where what I'm seeing, and certainly as we'll get into the sixth intelligence of leadership, which we'll talk about in a second, there's a lot more personable accountability and a lot more opportunity, I think, for us to think about acting as leaders, managers, coworkers, teammates, other humans that happen to be in a work environment, there seems to be a lot more focus and a lot more, I don't know, maybe acceptance that the personal development of that individual is really what's going to make them, allow them to be a better part of the team. Where I feel like we just always like relied on these frameworks. We'll just follow these six points and you'll be okay. But if you're a maladjusted, messy human, which you and I have joked about a lot, <laughs> you're probably it's probably not going to work out no matter how many times you read that book on that certain framework of being, I love Sage, Sage on the stage. Is that an underpinning trend or is that just my maybe hopeful thinking on what is actually happening? I would love to say that's a trend. <laughs> I think it depends who you work for and who you are. I do think we're putting a greater value on learning. And I think we're really understanding that skill sets, whether they're technical skills, human skills, essential skills, whatever that, that brand may be, the rate of transformation requires us to keep learning, requires us to keep growing. Okay. I'm not convinced that everybody has it yet. Yes, but yeah, no, agreed. We're, we're, we're going to choose to also speak of this for, in an optimistic way on, on, on this podcast. As Collisions is known for, let's have real conversations, but there's always a positive. You know, at the end of the day, we got to leave everybody with a, with a ray of hope. But I think you, you nailed it. It really depends on the organization. Depends on the group of friends. Depends on the family unit. There, there's so many variables of like what's accepted or, or, or what's required or expected maybe. <laughs> accepted versus yeah, expected. True, true, yeah. <laughs> well, let's, let's dive. You and I can speak philosophically for hours, which we will today a little bit. But let's put some framework uh, around it. You were the first one to introduce me to the six intelligence of leadership. So I will turn it over to you. Let's share our audience what those are. And again, episode 156, we dive into it a lot more. And today we're going to work down the list. But let's start, but let's, let's lay out the six for our audience to give them some context of what we're talking about. Sure. Thank you. So at SAIT, we, as we were looking at what's going on, what's changing, we decided that leadership needed a new approach. And the creation really is a leadership journey that includes these six intelligences and really focusing on that shift from here's what you need to know to how to think, how to approach. And so there's six intelligences that we labeled uh, start with, well, they don't start with any order you like, but we start with, we like to start with psychological safety. That was the last conversation that you and I had. And then emotional intelligence, social intelligence, adaptability intelligence, collaborative intelligence, and digital intelligence. I know they don't go in any order, but I want to put them in order because I like to do that. But to me, it feels like psychological safety. And we're, you know, please, episode 196, blatant plugging, go back and go back and have a listen. We're not going to unpack that today in detail. But if you don't feel safe, it's hard to do the other things well. And that's just my own interpretation back to the old Lencioni pyramid of that, that trust at the bottom. If you don't have that, it's hard to get high performance in whatever version you, you, you see. And I think that, you know, I, I, I had come back and asked you, what do you think? the most important and which one should we talk about and this is a little bit of the order of, of this follow-up with psychological safety and then building it into emotional intelligence so is that is that the right way to think about it about like we set the stage with the psychological safety to allow some of these other things to happen more successfully 
Given the choice, I would always go psychological safety and emotional intelligence right up front. And I, and I think you're right the way that you said it. It is our foundation. And the piece that really pulls that together for me, if you think about most of our companies, we're made up of people. Our business is done by communication and conversation. And if you don't have trust, good relationships, knowledge of yourself, knowledge of how to work with other people, you're never going to get to that best version that you want for company, for person, whatever that piece may be. And and to me, it's always about this isn't this makes things go better. But when things are going great, that's not when this really shows up or gets tested. It's when there's misalignments and there's external pressures like a pandemic, um, like sales are down, like under under fire and under under pressure. To me, that's where these really get tested in fire. When everything's great and you're winning it and knocking it out of the park and things are awesome and we're all celebratory, some of these things seem like, oh, no, we're good there. It's, it's when the pressure comes or when things don't go well. I think that's when we all get into this state, which maybe is a nice kind of pivot into emotional intelligence. And under stress is where I find a lot of my, my, my cracks will show up. <laughs> Speaking personally, of course. Well, welcome to being a messy human, Tyler. Yes. <laughs> I'll get a t-shirt. I am messy. Uh, be, be, beware, but it'll be fun. Um, so let's start with emotional intelligence, maybe. And I almost want to start with what it isn't, because I we love to dismiss things that we can't measure, which I think we'll talk about today. But maybe from the top, like what what when you hear emotional intelligence in a in a, in a town that's run by very technically oriented professionals, where science based, technology based, engineers, accountants, emotional intelligence. I don't go. I don't have time for that fluffy stuff, and I'm over generalizing. But is that a real challenge when that word gets thrown around? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, and <laughs> and. It's often, yeah, it's that soft stuff. It's that fluffy stuff. And, and do we really need our emotions at work? We've survived for however many years. And, and I think I said this to you before, as, as a brick wall, mm. I don't need emotions. If I don't show it, nobody knows. And for the longest, longest time, we've sort of had that be tough, uh, dominate or be dominated, control and command mm. To, to show any of that kind of vulnerability, there's a word that just puts the hairs up on the back of a lot of people's necks, is simply considered weak. And for a while, when people showed those qualities, we actually valued it and rewarded it. And so then it became a thing. And then if your leader was like that, well, you had to be like that to be the next leader. And it's really only in the last, I would say, two decades that we've shifted in many areas to embrace what emotional intelligence really is. And I I just want to add the filter. I know we're talking about this in the context of business, but this is also a trend that I think is important, whether it's your friend group or your family, like this emotional intelligence, these are not simply work related, like the the framework of how to run a meeting. Well, that's typically going to live in, 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 in my corporate side of my world. But this is to me looking at the whole person so much more because who you are at home and who you are with your friends, your peers on your sports teams or your beer leagues or your teams at work, that emotional intelligence, this is not just compartmentalizing into a into a corporate environment correct correct you are the same person at home and at work and this leads to great debate no i'm not i operate this way when i'm at work and i operate this way at home Uh, that's a interesting use of your energy to be honest and 
a lot of masquerading as 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 a normal person if i'm you know that's very exhausting i saw a joke years ago masquerading as a normal person is exhausting was the quote i saw they, <laughs> <laughs> yes yes <laughs> what, it is. again whatever normal is how you want to define that yeah and and how we behave how we show up whether under stress great point earlier or whether just as our everyday version of ourselves is based on everything in our story up to this point. And a lot of that wasn't in our workplaces. A lot of that was created, cultivated in our growing up. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, you know, our environment created our beliefs and then our beliefs create our environment. Or, you know, but yeah. you can play around with that one a little bit. But what I loved, and you sent me an email beforehand that I really appreciate always, are you're, you're, you send the best pre-podcast emails. But what I really loved is how you flipped it. You know, emotional intelligence is being intelligent about emotions. I thought yes. that was a really, I'd never heard it quite said that way, but immediately go, oh, that change. Now I feel like I have a flexibility. Now I feel like maybe I have a choice in the matter versus my letting my emotions kind of run recklessly with my my behavior. So maybe unpack that one a little bit for us because I thought that was an interesting way to frame it up for me. Mm-hmm. Yes, and, and those probably aren't my words, but they're, they're good words, they work. They are very <laughs> so good words. we'll use them. <laughs> it, it is, it's... Emotional intelligence isn't, back to your original question, it isn't about sort of being that fire hose with all your feelings and, and <laughs> you know, this is just who I am and, and letting it all run everywhere. We Part of the emotional intelligence is how do we regulate those emotions? And th- the wrong end of the continuum is that we'll all fit on one nice, easy, bland line. Well, no, our emotions make us human. That's the messy part. That's the authentic piece. And in the same breath, you don't need to see Jenny at her peak of emotional intensity in the workplace. Mm. So if I can regulate that, I can still be frustrated, disappointed, angry. And I show up in a method that or in a way that allows us to to deal with that, to work through that. And there's a value, you know, I often say to people, nobody gets angry for no reason. Hmm. So it's it's a gift that they're angry because it's that blanket emotion. And so underneath there's an unmet need or an unmet want or whatever it might be. But if I'm stuffing all that down, now you have no information. And that's really hard to work with. So interesting. I, read, I heard something years ago. It was like bully. You know, uh, emotions can be the uh, emotions are the bully in, in your own head sometimes. And like, but what I'm hearing is if I'm willing to just be aware of it and being intelligent with them and go, okay, I'm upset. Stopping. I, I've been in meetings where someone said, hey, you know what? That really frustrated me the way that that unfolded. Can we talk about it? Like, oh, wow. Okay, you were frustrated. So you're right. You have my attention. That's real. But you're not yelling at me, which is a very different now that I get to show up in that situation where someone presents to me like, hey, by the way, that thing you did or that situation we were involved in getting, you got to be careful with the you did or I did or that kind of thing. That could be dangerous. Yeah. But if you talk about it like the thing that's happening and don't make it about you did to me or I did to you, it really allows, like you said, someone who's mad or frustrated like something caused that let's go let's go talk about that not about what you did right or I did wrong or or that and I think that's an interesting place to move it and I learned this back in the coaching world of like make the thing you're talking about like a third gravitational body don't make it about the other person because then we get defensive and we feel attacked and then it just it can just agitate and elevate those emotions Mm. yes yes and and that the minute that it becomes personal, the ego gets involved as well. And now we're just on a, a hiding down the road. And, and the other piece in there too, is that our emotions literally are contagious. 
<laughs> and when we're in the face-to-face -face world, it's scary. It's something like 10 feet. And so often in that anger, that frustration, like your example, brilliant. We need more of those people in the workplace. That was really frustrating. Let's take a look at this. Mm. Whereas typically frustration, anger, they're, they're vibrant emotions. And so what we want to do is immediately wear that emotion. And so all of a sudden you're frustrated, I'm frustrated. Now we're not having a conversation at all. And if we stop and look at it, why am I frustrated? This is, this is not my emotion, that's, that's yours. And so let the person have that and own that and listen, because there's so many cues and gifts and keys to where the conversation needs to go. But if you're too busy being in their emotion, we'll never ever hear that, we'll never move forward. I love what you said about ten foot, like this, like uh, force field that exists around when there's a, when there's a powerful when there's a powerful emotion. Uh, how does that? And, and maybe we're getting outside the realm here, but we live in a world of digital. You and I are on a screen right now. Mm. Uh, you know, we're we're almost closer than ten feet because you know, not, not normally do I have this close up of the other person's face in front of me the whole time we're talking. So has that shifted? Has it changed? Or have you? Has there been any thought put into like this new world of how we how interpersonal communication exists? <laughs> That's a really good question. The answer is yes. And in the world of digital intelligence, there's digital emotional intelligence as well, which ah, I... A subset. Of course, I, of course there is. <laughs> of course there is. Yes. I, on, on a simple level and important, I think, is in fact, as we're having this conversation, it's harder for us to pick up cues from the other person. However, one of the joy of emotions is tone of voice the words we use actually no talking no language that silence we like to run from that but there's a lot of information in there what's causing the pause what's causing the stop so it's different and and i think if we dig into that it, it's one of the factors that leads to that sort of zoom fatigue or camera fatigue um, okay. that we hear about so yeah because we have to spend so much more energy to sense the things that we need as humans to connect with other humans. And I know there's been years of 50% of your communication is nonverbal. And I, I know, and, and every time I hear a stat, it gets debunked by someone else. But let's just, it's, <laughs> it's safe to say there's so much about communication that isn't just the words. And when you're on a screen with seven or eight people, it's a lot more work than if you're in a mm -hmm. boardroom and you can glance over. And so that, you know, you're trying harder to have that human experience that, that, that we all need and crave. And if, we, if we're not conscious of it, and we're just working twice as hard to do it on a Zoom call. That that makes a lot of sense to me. <laughs> and I think the key word you just said it there, conscious. What are we conscious of? And if you know the topic is going to cause an emotional intensity, hmm. what are you looking for? What do you need to look for? Or what are you not hearing? Reading the room with 20 little one inch by one inch like Hollywood squares on my screen is a lot harder than presenting in a real room full of, sorry, real room full of real people. They're still real people. I want to be clear. <laughs> <laughs> but they're not in the room. And as someone who's presented no. a lot, like thinking about it that way, where it's you and an audience of 20, so much of how that experience goes for me is what I'm getting back from the room. And that changes. I'm like, I'll get off a Zoom call and I'll message one of my and I'll be like, so did that go well? Do you think I, I like, I really have no, I didn't get any energy back to me through the call. Or if you do, it's people that are maybe a little bit more exaggerated with their emotions. And sometimes you get just a blank screen with someone's initials on it. You don't get a lot back from that on a, on a zoom call. Yeah, it's, it's harder. And, and I love that approach 
call somebody up afterwards. Or if you know it's going to really push people emotionally, touch touch in, check in with, you know, those who will give you the feedback. Mm. And and I'd go as far as to say, try again with those who don't like to give you the feedback. <laughs> it's, it's worth persisting. Yes, it's very because we all know that there's, there's the outspoken uh, amongst us in the, in the boardroom and there's the ones that think and, you, you know, you call them tomorrow and then they're like, hey, let me tell you because I've thought through and just respecting yes. everybody's process. And with a there team, you, you get yeah. to know people. And, you know, it, again, if you're if you're willing to pay attention and willing to put in that effort of being aware that it's that, that it is about that engagement. So we're thinking about, we're talking about it. I think this can be very esoteric when you think about it from an organizational perspective. And if you're working with a group and they say, Hey, you know what? We need to work on emotional intelligence. What does that kind of mean? How do you, you know, if I'm listening to this and I think about my own organization, I probably have a gut response to whether we have it or we don't, or whether I have it or I don't have it. But what are some of the things that show up that would let you know that you're in an environment where maybe some work is needed or, Hey, you know what? Maybe you guys are doing, you're doing okay. What are some of the markers that you look for? Ooh, uh, again, <laughs> that's a big question. So emotional intelligence, the markers, because emotional intelligence is such a broad spectrum subject, like when you look at it, we're looking at ourselves. How do we perceive ourselves? So looking at your own team, it, the first thing I would go to is listen to the language and, and what's the emotional vocabulary like? I mentioned vulnerability earlier and, and everybody gets a little bit twitchy and nervous about that piece. But, you know, at, again, on continuums at one end, we've got happy. What is it? Sad, mad and glad. Mm -hmm. There you go. That's that's a really low emotional vocabulary. And then if you're hearing things in your meetings, like your example, I, this is frustrating. That that's a slightly higher emotional vocabulary or emotional literacy as we like to call it there and so that would be a starting point is is what is the language like what is our vocabulary between us what are the interpersonal relationships like on the team and you know within our emotional intelligence range some of the competence we talk about there's assertiveness can i stand up for myself and what i need want think feel believe but assertiveness is useless if I don't have empathy with it. Mm. And one of the pieces that has really emerged in the pandemic is the need for empathy. And within that sort of same sentence, we have to remind ourselves empathy is not sympathy. It's not judgment. It's not advice. It's simply giving people space. Are we empathetic to their needs, their beliefs, their perspective which i love that because it doesn't mean jumping in there with them and i think that's a no. that's a trap sometimes oh if you're mad i'm going to get mad too so we can really yes. connect it's like no hey i understand why you're mad let's talk about it but i'm going to be the the independent third party in this i'm not going to drink this kool-aid because it's not my kool-aid <laughs> perfect and hmm. um john amici who had a book come out at the end of last year has he has three sort of foundations for empathy a, a benign ignorance. So I don't know what it is like to be Tyler. I don't know what it's like to be you. And my ignorance is harmless. I'm just aware that, that that's you, that's your space, that's what's going on. Take that with a healthy curiosity. And that's the right questions where we, you know, it's appropriate to, 
to dig in a little and find out what it looks like from your lens, your perspective, your way. And then the last bit, and I love that he included this, is a growth mindset. Mm. It's very possible that at the end of this, I might see it differently and I'm going to grow in that space too. I, res I reserve the right to know more tomorrow than I knew yesterday. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and if my day goes well, there'll be something I'll be like, huh, I did not, I did not know that. How about it being yeah. open and being okay? And that's really where it comes down to the self of you that shows up and not feeling uh, insecure about, well, geez, I need to have all the answers. Or And I think this is a trap that leaders get into. And I think like you brought up, well, I took the courses and I read the books, like I'm going to be a leader. I have all the answers. Sage on, sage on the stage. I've heard, I've heard that before. I just haven't heard it for a while. You, you make, you make, it makes me laugh. I love, plus, I love a good rhyme. I think that's just a guilty pleasure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if it rhymes, I'm already 50% in on it. <laughs> there you go. But that idea of having all the answers and being okay that you don't and being aware of that, that in itself can really open and close so many doors, especially from a, leader, a leadership management. Because there's this sometimes this false this story you tell about what, what, it, what you should be now that you are a quote-unquote a leader. <laughs> And I think that that just opened another door, the the story that we tell ourselves. Hmm. And especially, it's always been, but I think especially now is what is our ability to really see reality for what it is. Hmm. And that's important in this emotional intelligence conversation too, because without reality testing, we get drama and and drama doesn't help us, we know that. But our ability to create drama is incredible. And and that's that's a gift too, because that's a whole creative side, but there's a time and a place for it. And, and we don't always need it. Uh, to play devil's advocate a bit, maybe I'm a, se yeah. I'm a senior leader that, you know, maybe before this podcast, I was thinking emotional intelligence is a bit fluffy or, you know, I read some of, you know, we'll get into some of the models and some of the ways that you can actually ex explore this for yourself. But I see, you know, self-perception, self-expression, even interpersonal. I might be inclined to say, geez, this is a workplace. Why, why, why is it my role to, to help you with your self-perception? You need to go, if you need to work on that, you should go work on that on your, on your own time. And I, again, I recognize how this sounds, but I would imagine that there's some common threads that happen in organizations where it's like, well, where does our preview start and stop? Like, okay, yeah, you need to be a better person, but go deal with that. We're going to give you the technical skills to do your job. Everything else, that's kind of, that's kind of on you. And I'm sorry, it almost sounds too, I don't even like saying it out loud because it sounds so shitty, but I, I'm assuming that's a big aspect of what's happening in organizations of like, this is a you thing and bring the best you to work, but we're, you go work on you on your, on your own time. And, or is that just an old outdated thing? Or is that part of this transition that we're in? I th <laughs> Jenny, I, I feel like I'm putting you on the spot today. <laughs> you are. That's why I like coming, Tyler. You make me think. <laughs> well. Oh, but thank you. That's a nice thing to say. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, you really do. And 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 the leader that says that's an issue, not an ish me. <laughs> ish, I, yeah, I, I, nice, I, nice. I want to say to that leader, I'm I'm okay with that as long as you've done your homework oh, already yes. too. Okay. There's an asterisk uh, on me. I'm okay with that. <laughs> there is, and and self perception. If you're a leader, you play a very valuable role in how people see themselves. And mm -hmm. leaning back a little into our psychological safety conversation, one of those pillars that we talked about in there was productive response, and so. I give a 
a presentation. I've worked for days on it. I've, I'm excited about it. I, I deliver it. And you say to me afterwards, let's chat tomorrow. <laughs> uh, and my evening just went down a hole because well, what are we talking about? Whereas <laughs> as you simply needed to say, um, I, th you know, I'm excited to talk about this tomorrow you know, good effort on the presentation, whatever's real, like, don't lie, but give me more information. You that's an impact on my self regard. Hmm. And I think the other piece, and th this won't sit well with a lot of people, it's not our job to know people's past histories, it's not our job to know their deep, dark secrets. It's never about that. The, ar and the argument is that can be very dangerous when you open that Pandora's box, when it's not your box to open, nor do you have the skills to handle what might be in there. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's why, you know, it's not our business, but it is my business. If you work with me and for me, why wouldn't I make you feel good about yourself? Yeah. And I'm not suggesting o that only we... good can come of that, in my opinion. Yes, <laughs> but but yeah. I like and, what you said. We have to have it's, the it's not being fluffy, though. It's not. It's not giving false, false, false glory or to give compliments. No. Like it's. A, I still the value of being real, but thinking about it from that other person's perspective. And when you get busy as a leader or any anybody, and you're under stress, your own stresses, sometimes the the me version of your of where you are in that moment overpowers the what does this person need, which is a, maybe a kind word, so they don't get stressed out all evening waiting for a conversation tomorrow they might be great but we didn't give them context <laughs> yes yes mm, that's, such a, that's such a powerful example it's great mm -hmm. and and we're doing it all the time we're always projecting something mm -hmm. and that projection we read that proje projection and so you know our answer to that for the longest time has been show no emotion the only problem with showing no emotion is if you stuff you know the angle the unpleasant parts to it you also find it really, really difficult to show joy, to show delight, to show that you're happy, to show that you're proud of somebody. Mm. And that's the piece that lifts us a little bit. So we need that. And you know that 10 foot, you know, can, contagious emotions break every barrier. When somebody is happy, excited, delighted, get in there, use it. <laughs> share that one for sure I re yeah I like t 10 feet on the negative but it could be exponential it's funny I've recently yeah. re this is such a weird I'm going to share this because maybe it's relevant but I have recently got a, a dog I'm a, I'm a COVID puppy owner <laughs> I've had her for about 14 months she's a little Australian shepherd and she'll be lying on the couch watching watching TVs with us and someone told me that dogs can't watch TV which is I disagree because her reactions but she'll react to animals or things on TV that you would expect but if there's a character that's being like the bad character or the bad guy or the bad girl in the show she will react to their emotions and she will react and become very agitated but a happy character or fun or playful scenes she doesn't pay any attention to but as soon as there's aggression or something that's uncomfortable on there and that character is doing something bad she reacts to it and i've started to notice a pattern of it and if she can pick up negative emotions or a negative a negative tone in the in whatever we're watching movie or show based on the character and i found that really interesting and i've just started to really observe it as why are you barking at the tv i'm like oh wait a second there's a pattern to why she's reacting so that 10 foot story now i have a bit of a reason now to understand why she's doing that just so <laughs> random but i found it interesting how intuitive because in their world everything is about intuition and emotion and how they feel yeah. and how they respond <laughs> yeah um and we we bring it up another 10 levels from, so from that level.
Yeah. And her level is pure because she's not hearing language or anything. It's just, this causes me to react. I feel threatened in some way. So now I'm going to bark at the TV, which the novelty goes off that real quick, but I'm trying to learn from it. <laughs> <That's an laughs> like, okay, really, we don't need to kill the television yet again today. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to, I'm going to, how do we, how do we start putting some, because if you can't measure it, it mustn't be real, right, Jenny? <laughs> <laughs> I've heard that before. I'm quite sure you have, but I, but you can put some measurements around, uh, you know, EQ. You actually triggered me to go, Oh, wait a second. I did my EQ a few years ago. Yeah. So there is some, there's some tools and some tactics, you know, we'll take the structured and analytical people who are listening on this that hopefully haven't bailed on us yet. They go, okay, all right. If there's a tool to measure it, I'm a little more curious now. So how, how would you recommend even approaching tools and labeling because that can be dangerous unto itself <laughs> it can and there's only one tool that i've ever used so it's the only one i can speak to okay. <clears throat> excuse me and we use the eqi 2.0 okay. so it's a model i'm not usually a big fan of models but this one this one works well okay. and it's an assessment that you you would have to pay for you would take it but you do get back your report of your emotional intelligence the I wouldn't advise just doing it by yourself mm. because being human as we are, mm. we look at that report and it comes as a scale. And when we first look at the scale, we want to judge ourselves and we say, oh, I'm not very good at this. And oh, look, I'm quite good at that. And what emotional intelligence is about is balance. So I mentioned before, you know, assertiveness with no empathy, that's not very helpful. You're going to be coming across, whether your intention is or not, but you'll be coming across as aggressive or arrogant or autocratic in your leadership. And so really, when we look at all those measurements, it's how do they balance? How do they work with each other? Some complement each other, some don't. And so having guidance and working through that report is important. I'm convinced or i'm sure there are many other ways that you can measure it i just wouldn't be able to speak to them no fair enough and again as chance may have it that was also the the report that i went through and i did it with yeah. my executive leadership coach and to me the real value of this overwhelming document you immediately go to where did i do well and where did i not do well or certainly oh, i did no, no question yeah when i sat with my coach she was very good at going, okay, let's talk about this one and where that might be showing up. And she actually picked a strength first. She goes, well, you're really high yeah, on this. So let's talk about where that might show up in your real world. And then let's look at maybe another, like what would be the inverse of that? If that wasn't showing up, what would be here? And I came away from it with all of a sudden, it was a very narrow view of the report, but it became something I could go take for a walk, if you will, or take out for a stroll with in my next meeting or the next weeks to follow. And that all of a sudden it became one bite at a time, but it made it very real. So I've exponential value. Otherwise it's a report you look at, I, I nailed it, I didn't nail it. Oh, look at it later. It gets saved as a tab on your screen and then it sits there. That's, that's I think the alternative that can happen with a report like that. <laughs> you want, yes, and, and you want to be really careful of that. You know, if you were working with your team, you don't want that to happen. It's a waste of time, it's a waste of money. And so, you know, full credit to your coach. I love that starting with a strength. And, and the other part to that too, as you mentioned, under stress and under pressure, sometimes those strengths when, we, when we're overextended actually aren't very helpful. And so what happens when I'm under stress? Do I overdo this part of my emotional intelligence? Ah, that might be a time I need to dial it back. And so, yes, find, find someone who can help you to figure out what are those next steps. And, and the basic equation is, is what you're doing working for you? 
does your in, you know your intentions or your actions are you happy with the outcome and if the answer is yes okay well maybe you'll choose not to take action there if the answer is no now we have a choice as to how we look at this how we build it and that's another piece in this emotional intelligence conversation is we learn it so you can i actually had a gentleman who by virtue of courses that he had been on by the time i met him for emotional intelligence this was his third report in less than two years there was a good six months at least in between each report and he said i'm going to bring them all in and so the next week he did and he laid them all down in front on the table and just watching his face was priceless and i said you have to tell me more what are you thinking he goes look at that and he could really see progression in where he'd chosen to take action and how that had developed over the time so Mm. it was kind of cool to see that that progress but it's not something that you would do every week or every two weeks well that's the addiction to the scorecard a little bit because i did reach out to my coach and i was like okay well i think i've made some improvements can i do it again she's like let's let it ride for a little bit tyler (laughs) yeah you know and that's an interesting one compared to some other you know doing myers-briggs or doing things like that where you're becoming aware but you weren't necessarily leaning and going i'm going to improve a certain area i'm going to be less of an e and more of an i or more of a j or whatever the case may be uh for those of us who for any and there's and there's so many of them out there i just picked i just picked myers-briggs where what I liked about this and what you just said is, yeah, if you put effort in an area, you can move the needle a little bit. And that to me yes. is very, as a performance oriented individual, I'm like, oh, I can do better with a correlated amount of effort and awareness. That to me gets exciting because then you get to see, quote unquote, the fruits of your labor. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and the other aspect is there's your sort of basic EQI measurement. There's also a leader's version that you can do. And there's a 360 version too. Mm-hmm. So open the door as wide as as you would like to go down there as, as comfortable as you are in the self-perception self-expression i was joking i was talking to my leadership team the other day and as you know we work we've gone to full remote so like you know what, yeah. what what what's culture look like and how do we you know and he joked he goes this is really as simple as how's my driving you know we do initiative and then we reach out to the team and how was it did did we do what we said did we follow through did you get what you wanted i love the how's my driving analogy that we've all seen on the sure. back of a truck or something along the way you know and as as leaders and as managers sometimes you don't need to take an assessment you can also just with honesty and if you've got psychological safety and trust you can ask the people that work with you because nobody knows better (laughs) how you how you were in that meeting 100 percent, yes and and culture culture's living culture's breathing we we know we're, we're too smart now to know it's not the ping pong table and if you've gone remote you don't have a ping pong table <laughs> no, anymore. That, so, hey guess what that wasn't culture in the first place but that's my that's no, a whole other podcast it was a, good for you good a for foosball you. table yeah, doesn't make you cool no sir it does not <laughs> no not at all and, but that conversation mm. will make it a very cool culture to hang out in uh, just a bunch of just a bunch of well-adjusted humans hanging out doing cool things together oh, isn't, that, isn't that the dream <laughs> right there <laughs> Where would yeah. where would a group start? Like if I'm if I'm a leader and I I kind of know that maybe we don't have this and I realize that maybe I was part of it, but it's time for change. Is this a personal journey first, and then bring the team on board? Is it just go do a workshop? Like I guess you know I, I I'm very action oriented and I love people to walk away from these podcasts going, huh, that's a new thought I haven't had before. And if I have a new thought, what can I do with it? So from that perspective, what would what advice would you give to somebody who's maybe very new to this journey, but is curious enough to to take like quote unquote next steps? So individually, if you, if you work with a coach already, they will have access to some kind of 
emotional intelligence inventory. So on an individual level, that's probably the easiest way. In sort of relation to the work that I do with SAIT, we are running emotional intelligence uh, courses. Uh, we run them face-to-face, although we're not doing face-to-face till the end of February of this year. Okay. But they do run face-to-face. They also run virtually. And so you could come and do it in a group setting. And if you're a leader with a team or within an organization, uh, we obviously have those client-based cohorts as well. Mm, okay. Where you can come in as a, as a group of people that actually work together. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And and there's value in that because then your consistency of language is going to be the same too. So you're kind of all in the boat together. The reports are always held as confidential. So, you know, if, if it matters to you that your team at this point doesn't know where your strengths and, and lower scales are, that's okay. That works with, within it. But the conversation is really rich as we start to talk about, you know, if, if somebody does have a low Um, perception how does that show up what are we going to notice in meetings and how can we support that person or stress tolerance my stress tolerance is really really high but my assertiveness is really low so you're not actually going to know when I'm struggling Mm. and those conversations just they open doors they create space for people to really build their culture back to what you were saying and and in a positive way do you, you know, just your own personal, like keeping it private versus sharing it. And it's a different level of comfort, but I can only mm-hmm. imagine sharing it with intent and with structure, not just so, like, oh, here's mine. Take a look at my report. And then you look at what I'm good at or poor at. I can, I imagine if you've got a group that's willing to be a little bit more transparent with some guidance, because like just sharing it without any structure is no different than getting it as an individual without any coaching or how, True. okay, you know, what do I do with this now? You gave me a manual on flying the plane, but I still don't know how to fly it. <laughs> Maybe I need some more guidance. I would only imagine that if the group is, is ready to go there, that level of sharing can, would really set a positive foundation. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that's the simple answer to it. I like I like the notion to have some guidance in there, like take take the course together or learn together, however you're going to build that skill set and then look at you know what is the best way to share that? What are and one of the ways to do that is you know, what am I working on? And so it's horrible uh, you know to me as I look at my scale let's say my empathy is really low we've talked about that one so to the team I'm going to work on this and here's what I intend to do and hold me accountable Hmm. and as long as we set that up you know with that we're learning we're growing here and we put the right language around it that's actually an incredibly rewarding period of time as you notice your skills are growing and your team appreciate that you're trying in that space. Well, it's, it's, it's the consciously competent side of that journey, right? Yes. Of like, yeah. you know, the, when you first start driving, you got to really focus and you know, that's always the one that's used. And then well, all of a sudden you get good at driving and you just, you know, you, you're not turning down the radio to find a parking spot, like those types of things, <laughs> or you do a drive and you don't even remember how you got there. But when you first start driving, oh, everything is very, very deliberate. I think that's a really fair comparison. When you first start going out for a drive with this new, with, with empathy, 
and getting and like how's my how's my empathy and getting feedback you can almost like it, it, it creates so much permission for everyone else to also be there too and be like oh hey sorry Ooh, guess I didn't nail it on empathy today you know and I, <laughs> I've, I've done work with my team where you know something has become up and you know I was I was I, I nominated myself in the room for like sure let's walk through mine and there was a few things that like five or six years later they still bring it up <laughs> it was this analogy of being <laughs> the seagull then all of a sudden diving down into the french fries and then going back up to 30,000 feet and my one of my managers will say oh Tyler are we diving into the french fries today that's like six years ago and I laugh I'm like sorry yes I'm doing the french fry thing I'll stop but it created this language that was a little bit like well red flag you're doing the thing but it was done in a context of, of fun and, and trust and like literally years later I still get accused of, of doing this the seagull thing <laughs> which which comes back to you are you and <laughs> clearly and, <laughs> clearly <laughs> <laughs> but but that's you know we've said this tyler too many times but we're all a work in progress and we're all a little bit messy and we are all in this together mm. and full credit that you have a team who can say uh french fries <laughs> that's my that's and, our safety word <laughs> and you're pulled back again and and you have the humility to say ah, yes I'll try and do better. But since, and, but since I'm here, can we talk a little bit about the details of this project since we're already since it's already come up? <laughs> <laughs> but it creates permission and it creates awareness and it's like and yeah. it's not being reckless with it. Like, oh, I'm going to do the thing because now I have a label for it, but I'm still going to do it recklessly. And that's the the two way street of it that I think could be really challenging, uh, depending on where you are with yourself, because it does all start with the self. I believe it does. Yes, and and that's important. And if you you know if you do dive into this and you take a report, look at that that self you have to really know yourself mm. in order to sort of know how you show up know how you take different interactions different emotional intensities we're, we're all different in that in that area and and i like that look at the self and then i like the word you said when you say with permission permission and respect are the two guardrails that have to be in place in these conversations mm. Yeah, running around, running around with it recklessly can be exactly that. I'm curious, have you seen any trends with generations? And I don't want to say boomers or Ys or Xs or any of that, but is there a movement? Is is there more self-awareness or, or is it more cool to be self-aware for the younger generation? It wasn't super cool for my dad. And I'm, that's not a criticism. That's just where it was not part of the rule book for his generation. And, and he's not in a world where he ever really had to adopt it. And that was fine. And not a criticism. But when we talk, I'm aware of that. Is there a trend for younger generations now that this is more front and center, we're having more conversations about it? So if, if I look out 10 years from now, are we going to be better at it because it's just on the radar now and there's permission to think about it where there's generations where it was actually you know stuffed away in the closet because it was weakness or whatever we want to call it? We have on the whole, again, it's not everybody, but in most cases, we've stopped sort of calling it weak we've recognized that there's a place for it i think somewhere the some places a continuum swung too far okay oh, and we might need to yep. to come back a little bit okay um and i think also our understanding of permission and respect that and respect you know within respect is that sort of compassion that generosity that kindness hmm. play a part and the other interesting part is that kids are learning it far earlier like I never we never did emotional intelligence at school or at university 
and I, I think I was gifted in my, my early, and I didn't even know it was emotional intelligence, but in the work that my mum did, that was part of our family conversations. Oh, now when I look back, I'm like, ah, okay, that makes an awful lot of sense. But we didn't all have that. And so, like you said, my it wasn't in my dad's vocabulary. You're talking to someone who grew up in England, like stiff up a lot. Oh, keep calm and carry on. Yeah, all, all, oh all the things. Goodness. All the things. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So <laughs> that was a cultural standard, I think. <laughs> oh, yes. And then <laughs> <laughs> another podcast for another day. <laughs> and so, so ten years time, will it? Yes, I think we will be better. We'll have that intelligence as part of our makeup. I am curious about swung too far. Because it's easy to talk about the negative side. Oh, we need to move away from that. But anything can go too far. Any strength can become a weakness, uh, depending on how you, you how you use it, how you, how you wield it. So when you say swung too far, what do you, I don't want to assume I know what you mean. I I, I might not even know what I mean either. Um, <laughs> love your Jenny. Always love your vulnerability. I might not know myself. Thanks. <laughs> We're forever teasing this out and unpacking it. But I think in some cases, people here. Uh, show up as your authentic self and it's okay to be vulnerable. Let's take those two classic phrases. And so the door is open and now you do have every single deep dark corner of what I've been through, what I'm feeling, what I'm thinking, and that might just be too much. And so yes, I'm an advocate for emotions in the workplace, absolutely. I'm actually, you know, I'm okay with emotional intensity. I think sometimes people need help on how to manage that and how to regulate that. That's why I have a job. Great. (laughs) And we also need to know what's appropriate for the setting that we're in. And sometimes that... I really like that one. (laughs) Yeah. And sometimes that what's appropriate, it might shift a little bit. And so we need to know ourselves and we need to know the audience and... And some people, their impulse control is is really quick. And so you say something and that presses the button. And if I have that lack of impulse control, I am now raging. That's that's not acceptable or appropriate. Oh, but I'm just showing my emotions. Yes. But you can't wield it like a weapon. <laughs> yes, there you go. Perfect. I, I, yeah, that's. I really appreciate that. And but then going, then excusing it based on. I love situational awareness. What's the appropriate context for the environment that we're in? Do I again, if you're self-aware through those whole things, or did the emotion take over, cause a reaction that was disproportionate to the environment, and then we just said, oh no, I'm just. You're not allowing me to show my emotions. Like, well, yeah, but it, throwing a temper tantrum in a boardroom with a client in the room, like that's probably not appropriate. If this is frustrating, let's talk about it afterwards. And I think that's an interesting point that you made of like, well, yeah, but I'm allowed to be emotional. Well, yes, you are. And we need to balance out how it shows up in different situations. That That's yes. an interesting context. Oh, for, for, forever learn. Jenny, we'll never run out of things to talk about because we've always got something new to learn. <laughs> Good. That might be uh, number four. You know what? I'm not, I don't, there's no maybe about it. Just to be super clear, like you're you're you, you're you're in an imaginary contract now to go through at least the full six. We haven't talked about it, but it's now been out there on the air. <laughs> I love our conversations because it's you know there's the concept like you said, and there's some definitely some learnings and some structure around it. But it's a journey, and I, what I like about yes, all these yes. is that we're gonna know something 
you know, we could talk about this for two hours. Next time we chatted, we'd be like, oh, hey, by the way, I've been thinking about this. This new thing came up. And the, per- yes. the permission that this is never finite, that it is infinite, to, to quote uh, uh, you know, Simon Sinek, but it's always moving and we're always evolving. And that's what I really like about these because they're not finite models that you just have to memorize the framework, get tested in your MBA class, pass, and then go use it. That's not what these are. And the more I talk with you, the more I'm appreciating the scale and the evolution that all of these six intelligences are going through. Certainly that's my interpretation anyways. It, it is, I love that. And, and we're always talking about it's curating and curating allows us to shift with what's going on. And, you know, I love that we now work in areas where there's no playbook. We don't know. It's like I said to you, I'm not even sure I know the depth or the extent of that, but we'll keep talking about it and we'll keep building on what we know. And that's, I I just think that's a gift really. Mm. And the shared belief is that it's worth it. It's why are we going to keep talking about it? Because the outcome, oh, yeah. the outcome is worth it in incremental Definitely. in incremental stages. And as an organization, hey, you're not going to have this all nailed, but your willingness to even have the conversation, become aware of it, and then always like, how's my driving? Constantly going, getting feedback and not looking to be, you know, when you say, how's your driving? It can't be just looking for compliments. You need to actually be open for real feedback because that's the only time change happens. And I, I talked to a lot of leaders and I'm in some executive groups and there's a, like, oh, like, uh, will, will we ever get it right? It's just versions of, of improvement in my mind mind but this this finite get it right or get it wrong or well why are we doing leadership training we did that a couple of years ago aren't we good like that that kind of that checkbox mindset does not apply to these at all in, in my mind as, as a finished correct yes mm. i could I, there's nothing more to say you've that's exactly how we <laughs> now we're just it. now we're just preaching to each other jenny yeah. thank you so much for another amazing episode i love our conversations uh, the audience seems to like it as well i feel like they're getting to just eavesdrop on a conversation that you and i would have anyways <laughs> <laughs> It's always my pleasure, and, and eavesdropping's great. Yeah, yeah yes, I've, I've had the compliment. I take it as a compliment that I love listening to your show because it feels like I'm eavesdropping on just two friends having a good conversation. I'm like, that is the nicest thing you could say to me. <laughs> That's a skill you have, Tyler, uh, absolutely. Oh, thank you so much, Jenny. Um, I know I've said it many times, but what's the best way for someone to get a hold of you? They're excited. They want to, obviously, they want to reach out, take a course, learn more. What's the, What are the best paths? Mm. So the easiest way to find me would be on LinkedIn simply jenny gilbert you'll find me there uh sate has a new linkedin page it's uh sate corporate training nice that one's going to take you to anything you like the idea of sate's courses or that leadership journey and the six intelligences that we talked about beforehand it's probably the easiest way in both cases i haven't checked out your new corporate page i'm gonna check it out now see corporate training oh right on excellent well, again, we live in a world that we live in a world. We're trying to improve how we communicate because we have so many ways to do it. It's almost overwhelming. But Jenny, thank you so much. Always love our chats. And I will boldly say, uh, stay tuned uh, for, to our audience for our next conversation, which we haven't determined what it is yet. But I'm, I'm hopefully boldly confident that there will be another conversation. So always love it. Thank you so much, Jenny. Really enjoyed our conversation today. And thank you too. I'm looking forward to it.